Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast. So here we are, it is July of 2020, and it has been a surreal year so far. Everything from the original coronavirus outbreak to all of the negative news that we've been seeing in the media. Actually, that's not that's not anything new to 2020. We've been having that for several years at least now. Uh, couple that with civil unrest and the individual tests and trials that uh, households go through, individual families and individuals. And we have a year that has been one that I think people are looking forward to putting in the rear view mirror. So if I sound like I have a little bit of enthusiasm in my voice, it's because I do. I've read the end of the book. I know how all of this ends. But that said, you are not imagining it. Maybe I'll call this, uh, you're not imagining it. Faith is a fight today, because that's really what I wanted to talk about. Faith is a fight. And on one side, we have belief. And on the other side, we have unbelief or doubt. And doubt is the temptation that you feel to give up, to give in, and to stop believing. And when I sit back and I think about it, and I think about all of the stories that we read in the Bible, where we can see how obvious it was that the people had no reason to doubt, we can go back and read in the Old Testament and see how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and how the Egyptians were um, coming after them. And we could read that from a completely different vantage point and we feel completely different about the story than we would have if we were actually in their numbers literally alive at the time coming out because we see the beginning the middle and the end of the story basically all at once and maybe if you're hearing it for the first time you don't know how it ends but after that you look at it and you reread it and you might question why were these people doubting uh, especially after the Red Sea, you would look at that and you would think to yourself, well, why are they complaining that they're in the wilderness? The same God who opened the Red Sea could feed them, and he did. And then the same thing as they face different enemies, and we can just go on and on. And the Bible refers to them as uh, a stiff-necked people, a rebellious people, a hard-hearted uh, people, And we look at that and we think to ourselves, it's just amazing that the people were like that. However, in the same breath, we're often blind to our own situations. Because think about this for a minute. In your own situation, maybe you've had uh, God uh, answer a prayer in the past in which you thought that everything was lost, there was no hope for the future. Uh, maybe you received a, a physical healing manifestation in your body or a breakthrough in finances, and how quickly and how easy it is to put those experiences in the past and then look at what's happening right now through a completely different lens. And you think, you find yourself thinking, that's where temptation comes in. Well, yes, it worked in the past, but maybe it won't work in the present. And when you ask people, why would you feel that way? Almost like we could ask the children of Israel, why were you feeling that way? Don't you know that you had the promises of God? 
don't you know that God himself was looking after you? And, and you can just go on and on through all of these scriptures. And don't you know and didn't you realize and why did you forget? But yet we're doing the same things that we're judging them for in our own lives. We think it's different because it's us. We feel differently about it because we're not looking at the story as a whole, beginning, middle, and end. We're living it in time. And we can come up with a lot of reasons why certain things won't work out for us in a positive way. And when we start thinking that way, we become demoralized because not working out means we're going to suffer some kind of loss and we don't want that. If someone or something or a situation or a bunch of things are important to us, the thought of being defeated, the thought of not having the victory uh, is demoralizing. And it can get to the point where it could almost be depressing. And so faith is believing not that you win sometimes, but that you win every time. Think about this for a minute. If you read the Gospels and you look at the people there interacting with Jesus, it's no different really than the people in the Old Testament and how they were thinking and feeling about their situations. They came to God hoping for a positive outcome. People came to Jesus hoping for a positive outcome. And even today, if you think about it, the same hindrances that the people had back then are present today. For example, if you had doubt or fear or unbelief, that could hinder your ability to quote unquote connect with God. So for example, there was the woman with the issue of blood and she said to herself, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. And that's what she believed, but yet she still had to get up and run the risk of being stoned because back in that time, a woman with an issue of blood, just like leprosy, according to the law, you had to call out that you were unclean. I guess people could relate to that today with the coronavirus type of thing. People are afraid that if they don't have a mask on, that you're jeopardizing the lives of the people around you. Some people believe that, some people don't. At the end of the day, I look at all of these situations like this. No matter what you can do in the natural, you still need God who is supernatural to complete your, and then you can fill in the blank, whether it be security or prosperity or health or direction in life, whatever it is. Yeah, there are certain things that we can do, but those things are never 100%. And then the other side, we have God's side. In every situation, you look at the Bible, there were two people involved or, or two individual, I hate to say it like that, but that's best. That's all that's coming to mind right now. In other words, every individual, the gospel's preached, but the individuals still have to believe it. Jesus paid the price, but the, each individual in the crowd has to believe it for him or herself or else it doesn't benefit them. So if let me start out with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read from the American King James Version. It says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So there is a promise here that we can enter into God's rest. So what is rest? Think about when you're really at rest. When you're resting, you wake up refreshed. Right? So there's the sleeping kind of rest. Then there's the other kind of rest where we're just enjoying ourselves and we're free from maybe distraction or we're free from stress. But there's a promise 
that we can enter into God's rest, which is above a natural human kind of rest. But notice the warning in Hebrews 4.1. It says, let us therefore fear. Now, you know, the Bible says fear not many times. As a matter of fact, the word, the phrase fear not is probably repeated more than any other phrase in the Bible. So, but when we look at that scripture verse, let me just pull it up here in the King James Version. Um, one of the translations can be, let us be alarmed. Another word, another translation is to be in awe of. And so the, the idea here is there, there is something important here that is available to you. And let, again, going back to the American King James Version, here's a promise that's been left to us and we can come short or fall short of it. It goes on to say in the second verse, for to us the gospel was preached as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So you can see here just from these two verses that just because something is available to you and it's God's will that you have it, you can still fall short of it. So when I think about that, when I look at that, you can take any part of the Bible and just hyper-focus on one thing, and you get an incomplete picture. And, and people do that a lot. I've done that myself, and I'm sure you have. For example, you hear about the message of grace, God's honor and favor, and that we're not under the law anymore. It's a really good word because if you're hyper-focused on your own performance all the time, then you're aware of just how far that you fall short of perfection. You now I think about this, and, and I want to really mix this in with what's happening now in the world around us. And, you know, we have man's laws and we have God's laws. And man will not be judged by man's laws, will be judged by God's laws. And, and anything that's short of God's standard will give account of in that day. And that's why Jesus came and paid the price for us. And by the grace of God, not by works, the Bible says, lest any man boast, we enter into salvation. And so I don't know if you've ever been involved in the legal system in any way, shape, or form, but the Bible calls Jesus an advocate, just like a lawyer. And in that day, when we stand as individuals before God, it's really good to know that we have an advocate, the Son of God standing bar, by our side, and that the debt that we owe has been paid for by him, by or through the cross. And the other people, like Jesus referred to the Pharisees as an example and telling them that they would die in their sins. If you die in your sins, there's basically nothing left except the judgment comes after that. And if you think about it, there are a few different judgments. There are the judgments which occur in time in life, and you can see examples of people being judged by God in the Old Testament. Now we are in a different covenant, a better covenant established upon better promises, and it's almost like we have this ark, like Noah's ark, that has the door wide open. Jesus is the door. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me. So we have this abundance of grace and mercy available to us today, but course, if you've read the entire book, you know that not everyone takes advantage of it. People hear the gospel, but it doesn't preach them because they don't believe. They don't take that step. 
So if it got, getting back to um, Hebrews chapter one, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter four, verses one through three, let me read the third verse there. First says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. So there's a promise of rest. When we believe, we enter into that promise. And we could take that word rest out and put anything we want in there relative to the promises of God. You go back and read about all of the promises of God that were available in the Old Testament. The New Testament contains all of the blessings of Abraham that uh, Jesus came through the, that lineage, right? He was the seed of Abraham. And so we have all of this good stuff that's available to us, but still we do not uh, enter into the best that God has for us without faith. And it is a fight to believe. So we can ask the question, why is it sometimes that certain things seem to happen right away and the other times things seem to take days, months, or years to come to pass? And is it frustrating sometimes? Absolutely. It is absolutely frustrating when you prayed for something and you see an answer right away, and then you prayed for something else maybe smaller than that, and still the problem seems to persist. And if you look at one part or one section of the Bible and just hyper-focus on it, you may come to an um, inaccurate conclusion. You have to look at the whole council, everything that's there. It's almost like, I, I hate to use um, a car engine as an example, but it's what's coming to mind right now. If you hear a knocking sound under the hood, your mind can start wondering what it is that's not working right, and it could be something minor, it could be something major, it could be anywhere in between. And so it's not like if you hear a knock, this is how you respond to it each and every time. It's really not that simple. And it's the same way when it comes to things like faith and the spiritual side of life. Sometimes there are things that are hindering us that we just don't realize at the time, things that keep us from entering into God's best. And so I've come to realize over the years, after talking to I don't know how many people about this and similar type topics, since I first believed back in the uh, mid-80s, 1980s, and just seeing different examples play out over the years of people who have overcome and people who have been overcome, I realize now that you have to take the whole counsel of, and of course I realized it then. It's not that I didn't know the scriptures existed back then. Of course I did. But it's just like anything else in life. Sometimes reading about something and then actually executing it. For example, have you ever watched somebody hit a golf ball or putt? Or do anything like that, and then you try and do something that looks so easy watching someone else do it, and then you find out there's all these little intricacies that are involved. And it's like that with things in life, isn't it? But let me let me just take this another step further, because again, I want to bring this back to where we are today. And I have to tell you that I have had probably more unrest in the last um, several months that I have in quite a while, and a lot of it had to do with what I was hearing and reading in what was playing out in the media. And sometimes people just say things and do things that you sit back and you're just in amazement that anyone could actually say or believe that kind of thing. And I really don't want to get into the politics um, of it. Just suffice it to say that 
you know, we have man's laws and we have God's laws. People celebrate wildly um, when certain laws are passed or certain laws are struck down, as though the fact that the law is there or isn't there is going to make a huge impact in society. Now, we can argue that, but I just put forth the fact that God put Ten Commandments out there um, thousands of years ago in which it told us this is what is legal or lawful in God's eyes and this is what is illegal or unlawful in God's eyes. And the fact that whether people wanted to accept that as truth or not or ignore it or the fact that those laws made their way into the Western world that we live in today and how man changes those laws, it doesn't do away with the fact that when all is said and done and a person breathes their last, they're going to be judged by God's laws, not the fact that, well, the Supreme Court said that this was legal, and so I went ahead and did it. Now, of course, we can break this down even further and look at someone like the life of uh, Paul, for example, and use that as an example. And we can say that, well, he was responsible for the death of good Christian people. Why didn't God judge him? Well, the reason that Paul actually gave was he did what he did in ignorance. And so you might sit back and look at that and say, well, does that mean that this person, because they know what they're doing, are they going to be judged for similar actions? And the, the thing is, is that we can look at other people as examples, but the Bible encourages us and directs us not to focus on what everybody else is doing, but what you're doing. Not on what's happening in your neighbor's heart, but what's happening in your own heart. And so I was listening to some of these politicians uh, talking uh, and some of these who hold what you might consider to be a leftist type of view. And I would just marvel and, and think to myself, do these people even hear what they're saying? What they're saying makes no sense at all. What they're advocating or what they're proposing would hurt a lot of people. How can they not see that? And I remember just feeling at, not just agitated and aggravated, but actively disliking these individuals. And, and that feeling, that, that emotion on the inside was having an effect on me that I wasn't really even conscious of. So it's one thing to be aware of what other people are doing, and it's another thing to meditate on uh, evil words, evil actions, or however you want to, however you want to put that. And one of the realizations that I came to was the other day when I was thinking about this—that faith is a fight. How come it seems like faith has been more of a fight, maybe in some areas, over the last several months? And I went back to. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, and starting in verse 22, this is what Jesus said. He said, have faith in God. Now, this is the episode where he cursed the fig tree. He spoke to it, and it died. And the next day, you know, Peter saw that it dried up from the roots and the disciples, and they were wondering, how, how, did this, how does this work? And Jesus taught them. He said, Who, whoever, whosoever shall say to this mountain, uh, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things that he said shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he said. That's like saying all things are possible to him who believes. Therefore, I tell you, 
What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. This is kind of like an, just an open door to the miraculous. And notice Jesus in verse 23 uses, uses the word whosoever. Whoever will do this will get this result is what he was saying. But then in verse number 25, it says, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father, which is in heaven, may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So what I believe this, and sometimes people look at this as an all or nothing proposition, saying that basically salvation won't work for you if you have any unforgiveness or unbelief. Uh, or anything like that in in you. And I look at this as on different degrees. I'm looking at this more of a practical degree because I noticed that all of the admonitions that you see in the Bible, be, beside if you look at the moral code of, of right and wrong, all of the admonitions help you build stronger faith. In other words, if you live the way, quote-unquote, you're supposed to live. If you live righteously, and the entire New Testament, according to first the letters First John and other places, the whole law can be summed up by saying, love one another. And John, perhaps who was closer to Jesus in his earthly lifetime than any other human being who ever walked the face of the earth was, Right at that last supper, it says he leaned on him, and said, "When Jesus said, someone will betray me,' people were looking around, and he was the one that said, "Who is it, Lord?" In other words, he knew it wasn't him. He was that close. He had that kind of confidence in his relationship with him. He made the um, statement that there are only two commandments: to love one another and to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were the two commandments. And so if you look at, if you nitpick on every little thing, of course, there's things that you're omitting or there's things that you're committing. (laughs) I mean, there's always that. But if you focus on just the simple commandment that God gave that, that covers the entire New Testament to love one another and to believe on the name of Jesus, then you will have confidence in your heart. I can actually read that to you probably quickly here. Um, let's see if I have this queued up. Actually, no, I don't. You can read that for yourself. Um, actually, I have a Bible open here. Uh, okay, yeah, it's it's First John chapter 3, verse 21. It says here, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So if you think about that, if your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence. That's another way of saying if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have faith. But what if your heart does condemn you? And the antidote to that, of course, it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's the sense of unrighteousness that, that the individual is cleansed from. But let me get back to this, what I was saying about earlier about the last few months. So deep down inside, I wasn't even conscious of it, but I just felt agitated about these politicians, the things they were saying, about what appeared to me just to be an overwhelming amount of hypocrisy versus what they say, versus what they do, versus what they support, and versus what they say. 
they support. And I thought this was just crazy. And and feelings of of true dislike between myself and these people that I've actually never personally met before. I've never been to their homes, probably never will be. Um, actually became a hindrance to the peace of God. So when it says there, there's a promise of his rest being uh, left to us and to fear lest any of you seem to come short of it, that none of the blessings and the promises of God work unless they're being mixed with faith. And not only that, but that it's impossible to mix something with faith according to what Jesus said in, in a positive, powerful way um, if you have aught against any. So, so let me read that to you again. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. And I was thinking that, you know, if I made a, a list of all of these uh, politicians and these talking heads on the radio that I... I guess the legal term would be vigorously disagree with. Um, I mean, the list is getting longer all the time. And, and just the, yeah, I know there's such a thing as un, uh, righteous anger, but there's also, you know, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in, on your wrath. So long story short, I I began to call out to God and I said, Lord, just show me, what I need to do. I pray that sincerely. And that night, after praying that as sincere as I could pray anything, I had a dream. And in this dream, there were these creatures. Now, I understood, it's no use describing what they look like, but uh, basically they look like men, more or less. But in the dream, I understood them to be fallen angels. And in the dream, several of them held me down held my arms and legs down while another one proceeded to do some kind of torture. And in the dream, I called out on the name of Jesus and they laughed at me. And it was interesting because I've had experiences before where I've used the name of Jesus in a dream and had dramatic instant effect. And I used the name of Jesus and nothing worked. And I cried out to God and I in the dream and I asked him what what should I do? And I heard a voice speak to me in the dream. And it said this, these words, forgive everyone. And just like a fast forward uh, film reel, we're seeing something in fast speed, all of these faces and names and things like that, that I've been seeing in the media for the last several months and all of the arguments and everything flashed before me. And I remember just forgiving all of them. And I thought to myself, you know, these individuals, not as a party, you know, not not as a group, but as individual human beings will stand before God in the judgment. And because they've given much authority, they'll have much to answer for. You know, Jesus said this, it'll be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for the peoples of his time that actually saw him, that actually heard the audible words coming out of his mouth uh, as the Messiah, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for them, which tells me there's different levels of judgment and punishment. 
that some punishment is more to- as bad as it is is more tolerable than another kind. For example, the judgment that Judas Iscariot will face. It, it's written that it would have been better for this person to have never been born. So when I think about all of these people who are in positions of power, who are basically have an evil, unrighteous, against God, anti-God, anti-Christ type of agenda, their time in this earth is limited. It will pass, and, and some of them, yeah, they, maybe they've been in office for 20, 30 years or whatever, maybe more, I don't know. But while you're here, it just seems like it's going to last forever. And the older you get, the faster time goes, you realize that wisdom has taught you that time goes a lot faster than you realize. And I started thinking that all these people eventually stand before God and have to give an account. And if they die in their sins, then there is no, there is nothing left, right? The Bible says there's been no name given among men whereby we can be saved. There's only one name that God gave. And when I think about that and I think about these people suffering uh, for the things they did in their life forever, it's pretty sobering. And, you know, somebody may say, well, you know, I don't, I don't believe like that. I believe it's like this, not like that. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what we believe. It's what does the Bible say? How do you read it? I know somebody might turn around and think, well, I don't feel like God would do this because God is, you know, and then we, again, you can hyper-focus on, well, God is a God of love. Well, that's why he sent Jesus. But if you reject the vessel, if you reject the ark, if you reject the door, if you reject Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, then there is nothing left. You, there are no other options. And so I forgave, back to this dream, I forgave all of those people that had been agitating me for the last several months. And as I did, these creatures that were holding me down, their, their power, their strength, I could feel it ebbing. And then finally, I forgave them. I forgave them for attacking me and holding me down and torturing me because my thought, this thought came to me. Again, I knew it was the Spirit of God. And we all, you and I, if you believe in Jesus like I believe, we all have the same spirit. What does the Bible say? You have no need that any man teach you because you've been given the Holy Spirit and he leads and guides us into all the truth. Well, here it is. Here it is, right? Right smack dab, front and center stage, right with the spotlight on it right now as I'm speaking. So I forgave those creatures just like Jesus forgave the people that were the, pounding the nails into his hands and feet and whipping him and, and, and uh, mocking him. I forgave those creatures, and as I forgave them, right in front of my eyes, they just shriveled up. And then the next thing I knew, I was sitting up in bed, and I knew that that was um, what the Bible calls a night vision. Night vision is when God speaks to you in a, in a dream. David had quite a few of those. You can read about night visions um, in, I believe, the book of Psalms. But anyway, not to hyper-focus on that. But if you're wondering what it is that's hindering you, that's hindering your progress, that's keeping you from, that, that's causing you to fall short of God's best. And, and I have to tell you, there is a, there's God's side to every 
miracle, to every breakthrough, to every good thing that happens. And there's man's side. God will do his part. And this is how I look at it. This is how I've grown to look at it over the years now. If something is not working, then we can't blame God. The problem is always on our side. And sometimes it's not even that we're doing something wrong. Sometimes it just comes down to we're not persevering enough because if faith produced immediate results each and every time, then what kind of fight would that, why would fighting the good fight of faith be a a good analogy? Why would we be even encouraged to do that? So, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 Paul talking to a young believer with the call of God on his life, fight the good fight of faith, he says, lay hold on eternal life. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Lay hold on this. That implies it's going to take some kind of effort. That implies it takes some kind of reaching out. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and have professed a good profession or confession before many witnesses. Uh, If we go on to uh, even a little bit further than that, let's say um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. It says, but that which you already have, hold fast until I come. The interesting thing about the, the churches in the book of Revelation, the warnings and the admonitions that Jesus gave, you can sum up all of those warnings and put them in one category if you really wanted to and say that all these warnings are designed to help them preserve and strengthen their faith. Because all of the things they were doing before were basically weakening their faith. And that's why Jesus said, live like this, do these things. And all of the things that you that everybody else desires. What does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that the Gentiles seek after. Gentiles, symbolic of people without God will be added to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Most people do it the exact opposite. Most people seek all of the things, the money, the business, the relationships, the power, the prestige, the things. And then when things begin to break down, then they seek God to try and fix whatever it is that's breaking down. And we're all human. Every single one of us have been there. Or maybe you're there to some degree uh, now. Then, as I said, I already read the first epistle of John. Talks basically, you can sum up the letters of John. It talks about loving one another, being good to one another, being kind to one another, believing on the name of Jesus. And by doing those two things, we'll assure our hearts before God and we'll have confidence when we pray. Let me tell you, we need the presence of God today in our relationships. Right? We need forgiveness we need the presence of God in our finances. It's not going to get any cheaper to live going forward. It's not going to get any cheaper to pay these taxes, insurances, the price of cost of home ownership, transportation, education, food. The list just goes on and on. We need the presence of God. Yet we need the presence of God in our society. I think it can just go on and on. And in the areas of health and wholeness. Take a look around you. Just about everything that is, is broken to one degree or another. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus puts it this way, because you have kept the word of my patience, and that word there in the Greek is also translated hopeful endurance and constancy. Right? Fight the good fight of faith. Don't come short of anything that God has promised to you. It's a fight because it requires endurance. It requires taking the, the, the hit and recovering or blocking. In other words, it is not giving up. It is not giving in and it is not giving out. It is none of those things. And the admonitions to persevere, to have patience, which again is interpreted as hopeful endurance. I don't know about you, but I've had endurance and sometimes it wasn't really hopeful endurance. Sometimes it was just suffering with the problem and not complaining too much about it. But hopeful endurance is, is kind of like saying that, um, and I, I hate to use money as an example, but I'm going to do it. Let's say whatever you ha- whatever needs to be replaced in your life that maybe you can't afford to replace today as of this recording. It might be a, a home, a transportation, clothes, or whatever. whatever. I'm just using this finances as, as an example. Because we've all need, needed to replace things that were, we considered expensive at one time or another. And it would be like putting up with whatever you have for another week, knowing that the, you were taking delivery of the replacement thing in 14 days. That's what we would call hopeful endurance. I mean, if, if you were moving from an old home that had water coming in when it rained, you know, you had to put buckets all over the place. Imagine how terrible that would be especially if you lived where there's a lot of rain. Or maybe you had a place that wasn't in the wintertime, it wasn't properly, or in the summertime, you know, it was either too cold or too hot. And you were going to move out of that place into a better place, but you still have to put up with the discomfort for another 14 days. But the, the knowing that the answer was a sure thing and not a maybe, that it's a whole lot easier knowing that the answer is guaranteed than wondering if it is or not. It's a whole lot different knowing that the money will be there when you need it than not being quite sure of it when you lay your head on the bed to go to sleep at night. It's a world of difference, those two things. And faith is a fight. It is a fight because the temptation to doubt that you'll have the answer when you need it is ever-present with you. Even if it's just even when the gift of faith comes. When the gift of faith comes, it is impossible to doubt. And I've experienced this in my life where the impossible suddenly seemed like just such a small thing and then the answer came, but I couldn't work it up. I couldn't generate it. It wasn't a matter of understanding from an intellectual standpoint that the Bible promises this and that Jesus is faithful, God is faithful, and it wasn't like two plus two equals four. There were things inside me that just would not hold on to that promise for long without letting it slip through my fingers, and it was a, a point of frustration. And so recognizing, again, that if you just look at one thing like faith, and, and we can take the word faith out and put trust in there, might make more sense. Um, if, if you would say, how, how are you going to in, increase trust with, with a friend of yours or with a member of your family? How do you grow trust? You probably wouldn't look at it from a mechanical 
standpoint. You probably look at it more of a relationship-based thing. So if you saw that person and interacted with them regularly, trust would build. You know, all things being equal, you know, both parties are kind, good, loving uh, people, righteous people. So when you're looking at that with God in that respect, then the more exposure you have to God as an individual, I'm not just talking about reading the book, reading the Bible, right? Because we could just read it from an intellectual standpoint, but um, from the heart, our spirit, the inner man, the more we reach out to God, the Father, the more we reach out for the help of the Holy Spirit, the more we reach out to Jesus as an individual, as a real person, then that is a completely different type of situation than studying a course about the Bible or reading a book about the promises of God or faith or the name of Jesus or any of those other things. It's one thing to know like just the basic information and it's another thing to have a living relationship. And so how do you have a living relationship? And it really just comes down to that's what you want in your heart and your prayers reflect that. And I don't want to sound super spiritual or anything like that because I don't believe that any of us are what you would call uh, super spiritual who live as human beings. I don't believe that any of the 12 apostles or the original church was what we call super spiritual. I believe they were super sincere, and that's what became, that's what we interpret as super spirituality. I believe that what we think as being super spiritual is really a manifestation of of super sincerity of that individual to God as an individual. And so if you want to be, if you want to have power in your life, then I think you just have to be super sincere. Even admitting things that make you look bad. Admitting that you want things that you shouldn't want. And, uh, and, and no matter what it is, it could be power, it could be anything. But But notice... Let me just read this uh, and put this side. This comes back to the living part, how we live our daily lives and how it affects our faith. Um, Philippians chapter, uh, let's see, chapter 2, starting verse 7, it's talking about Jesus. It said he made no reputation. He made himself of no reputation, and he took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Why God also has exiled, highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Why, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, listen to this admonition, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and do his good uh, pleasure. So I, I think about that and I thought, well, you know, over the years, I don't know how many years how many sermons I've heard over the years but this truth is just as viable as any other truth in the Bible it's just it's just as important 
That's why, again, if you hyper-focus on just one part and not the other, you get kind of an imbalanced view of it. None of it's bad. It's just sometimes it's the part that you leave out that's causing you to fall short of God's best in your life. So it says work out your salvation. It doesn't say work at your salvation. It says work it out, right? I've never heard it put better than this. We work out what God has worked in. God has worked into us a new creation, right? We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now we work this out in our daily lives. But it says work it out with fear and trembling. Now we know that doesn't mean to be afraid of God, that you know God's going to hurt you. But we know what it means. It means that we live in, as long as we live in this body, we have the potential to do just the most horrific things. And sometimes just assuming that you've got it all figured out is, is the, the worst place you can be in. Sometimes just assuming that, you know, everything is, is just fine and the, the effort that you put in years ago is no longer required today. Sometimes that's just, it's just paving the way for disaster. I think that's why it says here what that means, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every day is a new day. You have to live every day, one day at a time. But verse 13, God is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. What a relief that is. See, there's the balance. That's the other side. It's not all on you. And it's not all on me. That is a relief because sometimes, especially when things don't seem to be working, we put it all on ourselves. And it's always easy because we can see our faults probably as good as anyone, right? Well, maybe not as good as your spouse. Maybe they can see your faults even better. But I'm saying that, um, or family members, right? So God's still working in you both to will, to give you the will to do the right thing to give you the will to pray the right thing and to do his good pleasure. And then verse 14, it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I can't tell you how much I've complained over the last, I don't know how many months to whoever is willing to listen. And not that many people were listening. They were complaining also. Just about, again, this political thing and and some of the craziness that's been going on. But listen to what it says in verse 13. 13, combining it with 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Well, if death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we're talking evil about people, then even people we don't know, and maybe, yeah, it seems like they deserve it. We want others to know about how bad these people are and why we shouldn't be supporting them. Still, how, how much time or effort have you spent praying for some of these people? for the light to go on? Or how much time have you spent or have you even bothered praying that God would have mercy on their souls? See, and and here this is, yeah, it is the balance that's easily lost. And that's why I think Peter said that as long as he was in this body, he was going to put his people that were um, connected with him and his during his time to put them in remembrance of the truth. Paul said the same thing. And it says the same thing in going back into the Old Testament. Actually says back there to put God in remembrance. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 43, 26. It says, put God in remembrance. He probably put it that way because he wasn't talking to super spiritual people. And uh, by, by them thinking they had to remind God, they were actually reminding themselves. But it says in First uh, Timothy 4, 
verses 1 through 16, it says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then it goes on to talk about um, giving thanks and not forbidding to marry. Um, let me go through this. Let me just skip over a <coughs> few verses to verse 11, where he's summing it up and he says, these things command and teach. Again, godliness is just about loving other people, believing on the name of Jesus. He says to Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of believers in the in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. All these things till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. And take heed yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. Wow, if that, if that doesn't sum it up, what does? Take heed to yourself and to the teaching or the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing so you shall save both yourself and them that hear you. This is incredible. I'm saying this today. I read this because I just want to encourage you. I'm also encouraging myself just talking about it. That, no, you're not imagining it. Faith is a fight. It is difficult being, in a, being a human being and having to deal with all of the things that you see which are contrary to maybe what you've prayed and asked for which are contrary to the truth of the Bible. They're contrary to the fact that, yeah, God is in control. You know, sometimes it feels like, yeah, we're fighting the good fight of faith. That's the only fight to, fight, to, to face. Because we're not really fighting evil insofar as we're fighting the good fight of faith. That is how you fight evil. You pray, you believe, and then you act out. Right? You, you follow up with all that's within you here in the visible world around us. But still, it, the reason why faith is a fight, because oftentimes it's going to look like nothing's working. Oftentimes it's going to feel like you're just wasting your time. Oftentimes the logical thoughts, which seem logical at the time, are going to come and say, this is not working and there's no reason to have hope that it will work tomorrow. Because look at how long. You've been spending, struggling with this problem. Look how long you've been living in this situation. Why do you think that it will suddenly turn for the better when it hasn't already? Yeah? We're all tempted. We're all tested. We're all tried by the same kinds of basic thoughts. No, not all in the same area. One area that is easy for me may be difficult for you. One area that has always been smooth sailing for you may seem like an impossible mountain may feel like it's an impossible mountain to climb for me but the good news is is that at the end of the day that the words that are written in the book right in god's word it has the spirit of god behind them it has these words have the power of god behind them and it doesn't matter how many times you've tried and failed it doesn't make any difference how you feel but if you just keep on keeping on, if you will just keep on believing because God told you to, 
If you will just keep on persevering because Jesus told you to. If you will just keep on moving forward because that's what the Bible says to do. The promise is, is that you absolutely positively without fail will have a breakthrough. That God will be glorified and that your needs will be met and satisfied. And that you will have victory, not just in the world to come, but here now in this time. See, a lot of people put off things that, oh, everything's going to happen in heaven. I don't want to minimize heaven, but the idea is that when, when people see you get the victory in this world and you testify to it, that's what it means to let your light shine in front of others. That, that's what it means to be the light on the hill. So let, let me leave you with these last verses here. In uh, James chapter 1, this is James, most people agree, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. It says in verse number two, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations, knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith works patience. So you have to know that. If the trying of your faith works patience, it works per- perseverance, it works hopeful endurance. That's what that word means. Let patience have its perfect work. Here it says, let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What does that leave out? Once patience or perseverance has its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Perfect and entire, wanting nothing really sums up everything that you can think of. So whether you lack wisdom, because it says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and upbraids or withholds not. But it goes on to say, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Verse six, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let that not, let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. See, there's that admonition again. Right? The double-minded man doesn't enter into the rest of God. The double-minded man doesn't, and it's a fight because double-minded thoughts enter our mind all the time. It's easy to give in, give up, and give out. Faith is a fight. If you're fighting, if you sense the struggle, I think that's a great sign that you're doing it right, that you're right where you need to be. If you feel like you can't go on that much further, then I believe the good news is, is that whatever you're missing to complete your journey, to complete your test, God is there to give you the rest, the rest of it that you can't supply yourself. Right? There's a man's side and there's God's side to every victory, to every breakthrough. And so if you've given all that you know how to do and you don't know how to do anything else, there's even a recipe for that in the Bible where Paul says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. In other words, let that endurance Go, let it go. And if you, again, if you feel like you just can't make it until tomorrow, you can just fall on your knees, you call out to God. I have to say, from my own experience, God is faithful. He will give you the strength you need to complete your journey. Absolutely. All right. Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed that. I hope you were blessed by that. It was great to be here with you again today. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And uh, my name is Jim. I'm the host. And uh, as always, 
it's been great to be able to spend this time with you. Hopefully I'll be back again in the not too distant future within the next uh, several weeks or so. So I will see you then. God bless you and yours. Uh, Have a great rest of the day and I'll talk to you soon.